Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. We continue our series on Isaiah. Last night we had our call to prayer here, and uh, it was our second time this year. We asked you to all come together to pray and appreciate all who were here and appreciate uh, John Hard, one of our elders who led that, and uh, all who participated in uh, music and all. Uh, but this one is a different approach in that we are asking for you to uh, now start a 40-day period of prayer and fasting. And uh, we've got a brochure out there in the lobby of that guides us through this six-week period and each day of the week what to focus in on as far as praying. As far as the fast, it can be a total fast from food or it can be a fast of uh, one meal a day or one day a week or maybe fast from television or golf or whatever uh, the Lord leads you to fast from. Uh, but let me urge you to all... Uh, Involve yourselves and uh, enter in. Let's together go before the Lord and seek His face uh, and ask Him to really move. What is our, uh, what is our goal? What are we trying to accomplish? Well, I believe that uh, as brought before us here in the Isaiah, Isaiah has been talking about the coming exaltation of Zion, God's true people. Uh, in the 60th chapter of Isaiah, the opening verses there, Arise, shine, that's directed to Zion, God's true church, which is so weak in Isaiah's day. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people, spiritual darkness. Uh, but the Lord rises upon you. Zion, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Look up, lift up your eyes, and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the arm. And then you will look and be radiant. Zion, your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. The riches of the nations will come. Here, people from all over the world, Gentiles flocking in to be a part of God's Zion. Now, here's this promise of God's future exaltation of his church of true believers. And in the 61st chapter, we get the person through whom this will happen. In uh, verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me. Who is this? Speaking. This is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And uh, he would be the one that would initiate this coming exaltation of God's church, of Zion. Now, uh, notice he says... Uh, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
and uh, the day of vengeance of our God. Now, 700 years later, after he was baptized and then after 40 days of fasting, as he was in the wilderness to be tempted, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue. He sits down. They bring him the scroll of Isaiah. He unfolds it to this point, and he reads this passage that I just read. And he said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one. What a tremendous impact. Boy. Now, notice the provision of the Spirit for him. It says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. God's Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit descends on him like a dove in the symbol there when Jesus is being baptized. The Spirit would come on him to equip his human nature for the task before him. He was true God, but he was true man. And as man, he would be equipped by the Spirit of God indwelling and anointing and empowering him. And uh, that's the same thing, you know, when they, when they anointed the high priest in the Old Testament, the high priest was a symbol of, a type of, Jesus would be our high priest. And, of course, he's both lamb and sacrifice. He would offer himself. But when he was anointed the high priest, the oil would run over his head and down on his shoulders, head and body. We're the body. He's the head. And... So you can say, and I can say, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. That's true of every Christian. Equipped me to do the job he's called me to and you to. And so what's true of him is true of us in a secondary but very real sense here. Now, notice the program, the work that he would come to do. It says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He'd be a preacher, a teacher. And he would preach good news, glad tidings. Man, alive. Uh, to the poor, the poor in spirit, those who understand their spiritual poverty. Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in a people of unclean lips. Boy, he's got some good news for folks like that who understand their spiritual bankruptcy before a holy God. Uh, he to be a healer. It says, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Uh, those who are brokenhearted over their sin. He comes to do that. I uh, think uh, David mourning over his sin. He's a liberator. It says, To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Prisoners who are blind. To open their eyes, to release the prisoners. He's a liberator. Uh, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The year of the Lord's favor, it says here. Uh, that refers to Jubilee. Remember, under the Old Testament law, every 50 years was Jubilee. And it'd be ushered in 
for the blowing of a trumpet. And every slave was set free. And every person who had lost his inheritance or sold or whatever, it was returned to him. He was restored his inheritance. And God designed that jubilee year to picture what Jesus Christ was going to usher in when he came and set captives free as the liberator and gave us an inheritance. Uh, sinners who'd lost their inheritance but will be given an inheritance, become heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. God wanted to picture that in some dramatic way. And so he had this jubilee year. And Jesus said, I'm here to usher in that year. Now, it also says here, and uh, the day of vengeance of our God, but Jesus didn't read that. Jesus stopped short of that. Because at his first coming, he didn't come to wreak vengeance. He came to set captives free. He came not to condemn, but to save. Now, he will come back. And that will be a day of vengeance. And he's delaying that, giving men time to repent, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works of therein shall be burned up. That'll be a day of vengeance. And even today, as Matthew Henry points out, it says, uh, vengeance also on those who stand out even now against these fair offers. Christ, the liberator. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on this 110 years ago. And uh, the week before he preached it, uh, the... Brazilian Chamber of Deputies had declared that all slaves were set free. Abolition of slavery in Brazil. And every Brazilian slave was set free. And uh, Spurgeon used that as an illustration of the freedom Christ brings. And he said, notice there, it was immediate. When you come to Jesus Christ, there's immediate freedom. And he says, notice, they didn't have to pay for it. Those slaves didn't have to pay for it. Now, we do have to respond in repentance and faith. We do have to appropriate this gift. We do have to surrender our will. You were a slave over here. Everyone's a slave. And you were a slave over here to one king. There are only two kingdoms in this world. Everyone has a king. Jesus said, uh, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You start off a slave. But then becoming a Christian involves surrendering to a master and becoming his bond slave. The question is, which master am I going to have? But that was slavery over there. This is freedom over here. I used to think I was free. What is a person free? I used to think I was free. I could do anything I wanted to do. And I did. And then the day came when I had some close calls flying off an aircraft carrier. And I tried to change those things I was doing. And I found that I wasn't free. That I couldn't change them. 
When is a man free? When he can do whatever he wants to do? No, a man's free when he wants to do and he can do what he ought to do. That's the kind of freedom Jesus gives. Now, he's the liberator. When we surrender our will to him as our master and put our trust in him as the one who died for us, then he begins to he sets us free immediately in some ways and begins to break that bondage to sin in our lives right then. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avail for me. Now, Christ is the liberator. Christ is the comforter. And uh, verse 2, he sent me to, uh, excuse me, verse uh, 3 there, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, uh, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Those who mourn primarily over their sins. He comforts those who mourn. But, uh, and you think of David in that fifth verse psalm, he says, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He says, A broken heart, O God, you will not despise. A sacrifice of God, a broken and contrite heart. Here he is, broken hearted over his sin with Bathsheba. And he comforts those who do that. But you get here uh, two pictures in a sense. A person who's in mourning. Notice he's got, says, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Here's a person with ashes on his head and he's, his whole spirit is, is surrounded here with a cloak of gloom. And Jesus Christ comes to him and he brushes those ashes off and he takes a bright garment and he clothes him with that bright garment. Now, his circumstances haven't changed. The person's circumstances haven't changed. But he's been given joy where he didn't have joy and gladness before. And his mourning has been taken away. Christ is the comforter. Uh, Think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison. And uh, he writes, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. He says, I've learned whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. I've learned how to be abased and how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me give you an illustration of that. Some of us received this letter this past week. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Dear friends and ministry partners, David wrote these words about 3,000 years ago, but they've never been more precious for me than right now. I've just been diagnosed with melanoma. It spread to my lymph system, my right lung, and spleen. And as if the hill could not get any steeper, I was told yesterday I have two confirmed lesions in my brain. I'm unable to accurately describe the feelings and emotions that Sandy and I felt as I returned the phone to its cradle Saturday night. As we sat embracing on the sofa in the dark, we cried to God and then realized through our sobs that we're to praise Him. For all things. If what we've lived and taught these years has any validity at all, that God has all authority in heaven and earth, then this is the time to test our faith and trust. God has given me the opportunity to focus on things of real value for the next few weeks. 
Sandy and I need your prayers. Ultimately, listen to this, ultimately, I'm in a win-win situation. Either God is going to cure me and that will be a win, or he's going to take me home for eternity, and that's the biggest win of all. The value of my life will not be measured by its duration. Sandy and Lou Wheeler. He comforts those and alive. My wife uh, gave me a note <clears throat> after the early service here about a couple who whose home was destroyed and they were hurt terribly in the tornado recently and she wound up in one hospital, he wound up in another, and the baby was desperately hurt. And they brought them together. You may have seen this on television with the baby. And then the baby died. And uh, before the baby died, the little boy, the father said uh, on television, if our baby lives, we will praise God. And if our baby dies, we will praise God. Because he belongs to God. Of course, we're asking God to restore him to us, but most of all, we're trusting God. And uh, one of our members went to take food to the family, and the mother was so joyful and praising God for his faithfulness to provide for them. Julie said, uh, Julie Childs, who took it, said she had never prayed with anyone who she felt had the garments of praise on, like this lady. He takes the ashes off and he puts garments of place, glad rags on us. That's what Christ does. Christ is a teacher. Christ is a healer. Christ is a liberator. Christ is a comforter. And Christ is a planner. Look at what he does here. It says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord. Oaks of righteousness, trees that bear fruit of righteousness, godly living. The Ten Commandments fleshed out. Love for God, love for man, fleshed out. Not perfectly, but still really in our lives. That's what Christ produces. That's what happens when the Spirit of the Lord anoints you and is upon you. Now, uh, notice here the... Purpose of this. We've seen the program, teaching, healing, liberating. What's the purpose? Look at the last part of verse 3. A planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor, or as the King James says, that he might be glorified. That's the whole purpose. That's why Zion will be exalted. That's why the Spirit of the Lord was on the one who came, God the Son. That's why the Spirit of the Lord is on you and on me, that God might be glorified. That's the purpose of it all. Short of catechism, question number one, what is man's chief end? And we all said man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's say it again. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Amen. And that's where joy is. Real joy. Now, that's the purpose of the whole thing. And uh, that's why Christ came. 
John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. As your life begins to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, self-control, not characteristic of the society around me, but characteristic of true believers. Not by nature. We're not that way by nature. But that's the fruit of the Spirit. When that happens, God is glorified and as others are impacted and their lives begin to change, God is glorified and that's the purpose of it all. It's interesting to contrast this with communism, with Paul, with uh, Paul Pot who died. Uh, you remember? <clears throat> he, uh, Paul Pot, he was in Cambodia there between 1975 and 1979, two million people were killed. You know, the whole idea was uh, that uh, power is found at the end of the gun, and we're going to bring about this perfect society. <laughs> we'll have to kill several million people to do it. Think of the contrast here between God's kingdom and that kind of kingdom. Uh, the Christ will do it by setting men free, by oaks of righteousness, by changing our lives through the preaching of the gospel. That was supposed to be the great liberation army. No, this is the great liberation army. And we're the liberators. Now, we have the person through whom the exaltation of Zion would come. We've got now the plan for the interrelation of the Jewish church and the Gentiles who had come to be part of these true believers. In verse 4, he says, they, that's the Gentiles who are going to come in, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Uh, foreigners will work for your fields and vineyards. Here, these Gentiles are going to come be a part of God's Zion, and they're, uh, they're going to restore it and rebuild it. Think of how weak it was in Jesus' day. Jesus came, he says, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel were lost sheep, where you're supposed to have the true church. And he has to start and build within the nation a group of true believers. But then he would die, and he would rise, and they would be anointed with his spirit, and they would go out, and uh, they would restore, they would rebuild the church, the body, and uh, they would serve uh, these Gentiles. And uh, the Jews, in verse 6, the Jewish believers in Christ, you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will minister to them, they will minister to you. Every Christian is a priest. Every Christian is a minister, the priesthood of all believers. Now, that was the plan for the interaction of the Jewish and Gentile converts there. The position of those who from both dispensations, both periods, have come to true faith. If you're a Christian, what is your position? Look at verse 9, verse 7, excuse me. It says, instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance, so they will inherit 
a double portion in their land in everlasting joy will be theirs. Man alive, your portion, your position, you have a double portion. You've got the greatest inheritance any person could ever have. Everlasting joy. Man, are you rich if you're a Christian. That's your position. That's your inheritance, a double portion. Uh, your security, you so say, what if I lose it? What if it gets taken away? Are you sure I've got it? In verse 8 there, he says uh, that, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Yes, it is secure. When we had Amazing Grace sung there, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that led me safe thus far, and grace will take me home. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, they follow me, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Amen. You're secure. Uh, your covenant relation with God. And uh, he says, I make an everlasting covenant with them. And the recognition in verse 9. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge they are a people the Lord has blessed. If you're a Christian, you are blessed. You say, well, you don't understand. I've got this problem and that problem. If you're a Christian, you're blessed. Your position, you're incredibly rich. Don't ever forget that. Let that bear on everything else that touches you. Now, the, the provision of the garments of salvation by the Lord. In verse 10, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. He clothes you in garments of salvation. He's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Christ's perfect righteousness, his perfect record, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, is credited to you. That's justification. Justification, the Shorter Catechism says, an act of God's free grace wherein he reckons us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you surrender your will, you are clothed in his righteousness. Jesus' blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Miss flaming worlds in these arrayed, I shall with joy lift up my head. I don't need to fear. I'm clothed in the garments of righteousness. That's what you are. And uh, the parallel between the operation of nature and the Lord. Verse 11. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. God will bring this about, this exaltation of Zion. Now, for the Christian... Have you exchanged your ashes for beauty? Are you going around? I see some ashes on folks' head here. I see these gloomy faces. What's the matter with you? 
Well, you say, you don't understand my situation. Well, I do understand your situation. I understand you are, you've got a double portion. I understand that it can't be taken away from you. I understand you're an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ and you're clothed. I do understand if you're a Christian. And I want to get those ashes off your head. And I want those glad rags on. I want you to pick up that trumpet. And I want you to blow that trumpet and say, He is the liberator. And everybody said, Amen. Can Presbyterians say that? Amen. That's it. Let's do that. Let's let people know who we are and what we have. Man alive. And uh, then let's go to those around us who are not liberated. And let's let that anointing that's on us impact them. That's why we're anointed. You receive power to be my witnesses. And uh, if you're here and uh, you're not a Christian, Remember the parable of the wedding feast Jesus told in Matthew 22? He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. And the guest came and the king comes in and he sees a man there without a wedding garment on. In those days, the garment was provided for you. and So if you didn't wear it, you were, you were insulting the host. And he said, Friend, how is it you came here without the right garment on? And so the man was speechless. He's taken in time and cast him into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you can have that other wedding garment that he provides. You can be liberated. It could be that you're here and you haven't experienced what I'm talking about, but you want it. You can have it right now, immediately. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, you're a Christian, what would Christ have you to do? Are the ashes on your head? Uh, you're not rejoicing in the Lord and the position that you're in, the inheritance that you have, the liberation you've experienced. Put on your glad rags and blow that trumpet. What about this fast before us? We're praying that God would exalt Zion, that God would empower His people. What does God want you to do for that? If you are here and you don't have that wedding garment on that He provides, but you want it, and you want to be set free, and you're willing to have Him as your master, pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, I need liberation. You're the liberator. I thank you for dying to do that. And I trust you to set me free, to clothe me in your righteousness, to take my filthy garments. Come into my life. Amen.